Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Like I said, it's an, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. We're continuing on in this series called Battle Ready, where we're taking a look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, the church of Ephesus at this time was facing all kinds of types of persecution, both outwardly from the Roman government, who didn't like that they were pronouncing another king. And uh, when, when they were saying Caesar is Lord, there's the Christians are saying Jesus is Lord. We don't like that. And so they began persecuting, throwing them in jail, throwing them... And the Colosseums oftentimes losing their life as a result of it. Uh, they were facing outward persecution from the Jewish religious leaders who thought they were preaching heresy. And so they didn't like that. And so they're facing all kinds of outward. And then inwardly, they were also facing um, pressure where people were coming, as Paul would refer to, preaching a false gospel. Preaching things that, that, hey, Jesus is not enough for your salvation. You have to add things to it. And so they're constantly trying to combat uh, these heresies that are being promoted within the early church. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus to encourage them, to lift them up and say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Stand strong, stand firm. And uh, at the end of the, to the book of Ephesians, he leaves us with chapter 6, which is kind of a final remark, a closing st- statement. And he just reinforces what he's been saying all along and say, uh, God has given you the equipment. And so if we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, well, kind of our, our foundation for this series, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What Paul is saying is we have a real enemy, and that enemy, sometimes uh, we can't see him. Um, we, what we tend to do sometimes is we approach physical problems as if that's the real problem. And Paul is saying, no, behind every physical problem, there is a spiritual problem. And uh, what we need to be aware, aware of is that the things that we can't see can often be a greater threat to us than the things we can see. And so Paul makes this, makes this, makes this reference here of like, hey, be aware of what is happening. The first job, how many of you guys remember your first job growing up? How many would like to go back to your first job? Some of you, yes. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I gave up flipping burgers. I don't want to flip burgers no more. I worked at a golf course from the time I was 15 until I graduated high school. Every summer I worked at a golf course. And uh, for my first year, I was 15, and the laws in the state of Ohio at that time only permitted somebody under the age of 16 to, to operate a two-stroke engine, which is basically a weed eater. I ran a weed eater for eight hours a day all summer long. And a couple things I learned from running a weed eater eight hours a day all summer long is, one, um, it's amazing how you lose feeling in your hands so quickly when they're attached to a weed eater just vibrating all day long as you're weed eating all this grass. My hands, it would take hours for me to get feeling back on my fingertips after running that weed eater all day. 
And two, when you're running a weed eater all day, um, you need to do something to preoccupy your mind and to cause a distraction. Otherwise, the day feels like it takes an entire week to get through. It is long. And so one of the things we used to do, aside from uh, zapping toads and snakes whenever they would pop up, we would keep tallies throughout the summer who had the most frogs from the lake. And uh, you'd hit them, boom, they'd go flying. And uh, it was fun, good fun. <laughs> Hope nobody from PETA is here this morning. But uh, we, would, we would zap frogs. But the other thing we would do is as we were weeding around lakes, we would spot golf balls. And we would gather as many golf balls as we could possibly get. And so many of them were close to shore, and we would grab like a, a sand rake or something like that and scoop them, and we would, we would get all these golf balls. Uh, and one day I came across like the mother load. And so they were like there. They were there, and I'm scooping probably a dozen at a time out of the lake. And uh, I get to the point where I probably got a little greedy. And I'm like, there's some just beyond my reach. But if I take my shoes and socks off and I walk into the pond, I can certainly grab. And, and I did. I got so many golf balls that day. It was great. And as I'm getting out of the pond and I'm putting my shoes and stuff on, another employee comes up who was a little older, a little wiser than me, been around the block uh, before. He's like, man, that's a lot of golf balls. And I'm like, I know, right? This is like... I hit pay dirt on this, on this hole today. And he's like, did you walk into that water? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, How? Th- that's where all the good stuff is. You got to walk out of the lake. He's like, you know, there's snapping turtles in that pond, right? And I'm like, no, I did not. I did not know that there were snapping turtles. Why would, why would I walk out into a pond with snapping turtles in it? Snapping turtles are mean. They are very mean. And when they bite, they do not let go. Even when you chop the head off trust me from experience, they still latch on. It is by God's grace that I still have like all my fingers today. Because why? Because I didn't know that the threat existed. I didn't know what laid beneath the surface. This was a dirty pond. I couldn't see the bottom of this thing. And so sometimes in our spiritual life, it's not the things that we can see that, that have the greatest threat against our life. It's the things we can't see. And so Paul is reinforcing that here in the book of Ephesians of like, hey, stop battling things in the physical. Look at the spiritual. You know what what, what happens in our lives when we begin to see the spiritual things? We begin to see like Jesus saw where he's on the cross and he's being crucified. He's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? He gives us empathy for people. Why? Because we've all been there before. We see the enemy behind and how he manipulates and how he schemes in order to trip up God's people. And so Paul says, don't be ignorant of this anymore. Look and see and identify that there is a spiritual attack behind every physical attack. And so God, he, he reinforces that God has given us tools in order to fight the spiritual battle that we're in. And so as Pastor Lance referred to last week, uh, uh, he makes allusion to the Roman armor uh, that they would use when go into the battle. Uh, Paul being in jail at the time probably had a great visual of the guard, Roman guards who were standing guard over him and saying, hey, the armor that he has, there's a spiritual parallel to the gifts that God has given us. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the first piece that Pastor Angel said, like, hey, the belt of truth. And what is truth? Truth can be so subjective in today's culture. Uh, you live out your truth, right? We hear that all the time. But what is truth? So friends, what what God says about a thing is what holds everything together in our lives. The belt angel alluded to it is the the belt is what hinged and held everything together on that armor. And it's likewise in our life. The truth is what God says about a thing. 
And we can, we can hold on to that, and that holds it all together. Last week, Pastor Lance talked about the breastplate of righteousness, that we are given a body armor through, uh, because of God's, God giving us Jesus, we can be made right with God, and therefore we can live right, and that protects our heart. And so the body armor of the, the breastplate of righteousness God has given to us, that when, because of Jesus, we can be right, and that causes us to live right. And today we are on our third piece of this armor of God. And we, we're, it's found in uh, Ephesians six fifteen. That's what we're going to look at it this morning. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're talking about shoes this morning. And if you look at this passage and say, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I have no idea what he's talking about. Other than I'm supposed to put something on my feet. Friends, you're not alone. Because this piece of the armor is probably one of the most debated, probably one of the most uh, interpreted pieces of the armor. It's not as clear and evident when you look at what Paul is trying to say that we should put on our feet. So we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. Hopefully by the end of today, we have maybe a better understanding of the advantage that God has given us with these feet of, with these shoes of readiness from the gospel of peace. One thing I've learned about myself as I've gotten older So my mouth gets very dry when I'm talking. Um, I like to be ready for things. I like to have a plan for things. Anybody else like, how many of you are planners here this morning? You like to have a plan for things. You're like my daughter who has to know where are we going? What are we doing? What's going to happen when we get there? What time are we going to leave there? That's, she, she comes by it honestly because that's me. I want to know. So when Kim and I go out somewhere, my first question is, uh, where are we going? How long are we going to be there? And my third question is, what's our escape route? <laughs> because if you know me, I, lo- I love people. I love being around people, but I've got to live it on people. And so I, know what the, I need to know what the exit strategy is. Because there have been times that we've been places, I'm like squeezing my wife's leg, and she's like, oh, I love you too. And I'm like, I'm not squeezing because I love you. I'm squeezing because it's time to go. Hopefully, I'm not the only one there this morning. She's laughing here in the front row because she knows that it's true. She probably has bruises on her legs from me, squeezing her leg. But I, I want to know, know the extra strategy. I, I need to have a plan. Uh, so much so that it has invaded often my waking reality and has invaded my, my sleeping reality as well. There have been moments I can't tell you how many times I have a dream where I walk in here on Sunday morning and I'm supposed to play guitar or there's other things uh, in the sound and media that I'm supposed to do to get ready for service and I walk in and none of it's done. My board isn't here. My pedal's not here. Nothing's here. Nothing's ready to go. And there is 30 seconds left on the countdown timer and I'm scrambling to try to get all my stuff together and they've started without me. And, I, the, 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 and then that's like right when you wake up with that feeling of like, the whole day is thrown off. I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Like what's going on? Like I forgot something. And you just walk through the day with this nagging feeling. I've been 30 years removed from high school. I still have dreams about going back to school after Christmas break and forgetting my locker combination. That's a real thing. You don't want to know how I know it's a real thing. I had people after the first service come up and say, I have the same dream. It's the same thing happens to me. I had somebody after the service come up and quote to me their locker combination from high school. I'm like, the level of paranoia that you have 
to have to have a plan that you have committed to memory your locker combination from high school. That's another level. But I have dreams like that frequently. And psychologists will tell you that oftentimes those dreams are caused by stress due to uncertainty in life. They are caused because they're evidence of a lack of confidence you are facing in situations in your waking reality. They are evidence of stress and uncertainty in your life. And I found that to be true in my mind already because I can wake up from those dreams and say, oh yeah, I got this going on and I got this going on and I don't feel ready for it. I don't feel prepared. So my brain subconsciously brings that to the forefront as if I needed reminded of it already. I'm like, I already know I'm not prepared. Thanks brain for telling me that while I'm sleeping. But for me to be ready is to be certain of something. For me to be ready is to know the outcome. For me to be ready is a level of predictability. I'm that guy that two shows in on Netflix, looks up the ending of the series. Am I the only one that does that? People say like, you're ruining the show. And I'm like, no, I'm just enhancing it because now I can pick up all the details as we go. I'm like, oh, it makes so much more sense because I know what happens. I know what happens at the end of it now. I need to know. I need to know the outcome. And it drives me crazy when I don't know. And what I've realized as I've gotten older is that is motivated by an internal desire for peace in my life. I want to be at rest. And so I seek out these avenues that, hey, if I'm planned enough, I can be at peace. Even if the outcome's not going to be good, I can still have time to plan and prepare going into it. I can, I can get myself into a state of mind and say, okay, I can be at peace of this. I can be at rest of it because I know what's going to happen. It takes some of the predictability out of it. And you might be the most spontaneous. I just butchered that word. <laughs> spontaneous? That, that's not even, whew, just making up stuff up here. Spontaneous. You might be the most spontaneous person in the world. Or spontaneous, whatever you want to go with <laughs> this morning. You might love to, hey, I just love the unpredictable, like whatever, we're going with the flow. We're, we're going to do this thing. But even you, I would suspect, I have a suspicion, there are still areas of your life that you, you seek predictability. You want to know what's going to happen. For instance, your finances. I've yet to meet somebody who has $3 in their bank account who says, this is living on the edge and I love every minute of it. I've got to feed my family and pay bill this week, but I only got $3. Oh, that's so exciting. I don't know if my employer is going to pay me. I might be working for, th- for free, but I, I don't know. And isn't that great news this morning that I don't, I don't know where my money's coming from. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen. Man, that's living on the edge. I've yet to meet that person. If that's you, please see me after service so I can go on Facebook and correct myself after this message saying there's one person. They're insane, but there's still one person. Or maybe for you, that predictability is in your relationships. You want to have a level of predictability and certainty when you say I do to somebody. You want to know that they're going to be around for the long haul, not just through the good times, but through the bad times. You want that level of predictability in your relationship. Or maybe for you, it might, or it might be your health. Worst thing you can do is go into a doctor's office and he looks at your, your sheet and he says, oh, that's not good. That's not good. Like, how many of you know it's got to be bad if like a doctor says, ooh, that, never seen that before. That's a bad day. We want to go into the doctor's office and say, okay, everything looks good. You're like the picture perfect of health. Like everything is great. 
see you again in like six months. That's what we want to hear. So yes, we, we all, you can be uh, the person who loves to live on the edge, but there's still a level of predictability that you like in your life. And here's one thing I'm certain of this morning is that the world does not care about your desire for certainty. The world does not care. The enemy, our spiritual enemy that we can't see does not care about your desire to be certain of anything. Why? There's one thing certain in life, and that is change. Change is going to happen. Your plans are going to be ruined. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. You can plan all you want to. They are going to be ruined. It happens all the time. It happens every day. So how do we stand firm in a spiritual world we can't see when we struggle just to stand firm in the physical world that we can see? How are we supposed to stand firm? Well, in the words of uh, Mars Blackman from the 90s Air Jordan commercials, it's got to be the shoes. Does anybody else remember this? Am I the only one? I got a couple. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jen. It's got to be the shoes. These were, uh, this was a popular saying back in the 90s when they were promoting uh, Air Jordan sneakers. Spike Lee played this guy, Mars Blackman. It's got to be the shoes. Like, it's got to be the shoes that make Michael Jordan so great. And in our spiritual battle, if we want to stand with certainty, friends, it's got to be the shoes. And so what is so special about these shoes that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6? When he's talking about fitting your feet with readiness. What are these sandals he's alluding to? Well, again, in the Roman, the Roman uh, outfit, the armor that they would put on, shoes were a very important thing. Very important thing back then. And so you had these sandals that they would wear that were specially and uniquely designed for, uh, to give them a strategic advantage in, in, their, in their wars. And so the first thing you notice are the laces. And so the laces would tie high up on the ankles, all the way, some, some cases, all the way up the calf, all the way to the knee. And what that did is it provided stability for their feet. It pro- provided stability because you don't want to, they're walking on uneven terrain. It's easy to sprain an ankle. And so these shoes with these laces created stability. When they tied them up tight, they could be certain that their shoes weren't going to go anywhere. They weren't going to slip off their feet. They weren't going to fall. And so they had these, these laces. They also had a thick mitts, a thick sole to them, a thick sole, because what the enemy used to do was they would bury spikes just below the surface of the ground, and then they would kind of cover them up, and so uh, early historic, like landmines, if you will, and so as the soldiers are marching, they would step on these spikes, and they, they, if they didn't have adequate soles to their shoes, it would pop through and maybe not uh, kill them, but would incapacitate them for sure. And so the, the, the thickness of the soles was important because it prevented these spikes from penetrating their feet. Additionally, additionally you see uh, uh, these, these cleats. These were basically historical cleats. And so they would, they would take and put nails in their soles, maybe glass, whatever sharp object they could find, they would embed into the soles of their shoes, and that provided traction for them. So as the enemy's coming and pushing against them in times of war, they could literally dig their heels in and push back. And so these are the shoes that Paul is referring to. It gave them a huge advantage to have greater uh, stability, to have a firmer midsole offering protection, and to have additional traction. And so you see, it doesn't take imagination to see how, how these can be advantageous for us spiritually as well. To give us spiritual stability, to give us spiritual protection, to give us spiritual traction, if you will. And so Paul says, these are the shoes of readiness. 
The Greek word readiness here can be interpreted as preparation or readiness as well. The Greek word literally means uh, a firm foundation. A firm foundation. Uh, the late Timothy Keller described this word as a dancing term. It was, it was to be nimble, but it was also to be sure-footed. To be uh, sure-footed, to be firm-footed, that whenever you can do a big uh, pirouette or a big turn, my, my youngest daughter, Abriella, loves to dance, and she's got to have on the right shoes because you want to land on your feet. You don't want to land on something else. And so uh, these, these shoes are a dancing term. And as soon as I heard like Timothy Keller say this, I'm like, I know exactly what these shoes are. I've got the perfect thing. I know exactly what these shoes are. My oldest daughter, Annalise, and I, we do something called the song of the day, where I play for her a song from my youth in the 80s and the 90s, which is crazy for me to think about because I grew up listening to the 50s and the 60s with my parents. And the songs of the 80s and 90s are now older than the 50s and 60s were when I was growing up. I'm like, Whoa. but I listen, I'm like, it's still good. It's timeless music. And she listened to it and like, eh, it's all right. I'm like, this generation, what hope do they have? <laughs> but the other couple weeks ago, we played a song and it went a little bit like this. Oh, yeah. How many of you guys know what song this is? Man, more in the 11 a.m. than the 9 a.m. How many, how many of you guys want to get up and dance a little bit? We're going to have a little party in here. This is Smooth Criminal. You guys want to see me do Moonwalk? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael Jackson's got nothing on me, right? Give me a Shimon. Nobody even knows what Shimon is. Come on. You know what Shimon is. This is Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. From the 80s. One of my favorite songs as a kid growing up was Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal because the beat was awesome. As soon as that, that drum snare comes in, I'm like, oh, that is amazing. That's an awesome song. But what also made it great was the music video that went along with it. Because back in the day, you, music videos used to be really good and they told a story. And so Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal was like an epic music video. And, um, in, the, in the, the video, he not only sings a song and does like all of his traditional dance moves that he's known for, but he invented this move called the anti-gravity lean. And I remember watching this as a kid and I'm like, what kind of sorcery is this? That this guy is able to defy gravity and lean over and not fall over. I remember practicing it as a kid and I get about this far and then I'm over. I'm done. And I'm like, how in the world does he, does he do this? And I just remember being in awe as a kid, thinking how cool this dance move was. I'm like, I want to be like Michael Jackson. Who doesn't want to be like Michael Jackson in his dance moves? I'm like, that's amazing. And then I get older and I find out, I'm like, oh, there's, there's a trick to it. There's a trick to it because he had a special pair of shoes that he would wear to do this trick. And uh, they had a notch in the heel. And the notch in the heel would find uh, a hitch in the floor and he would get his heels into it and then he could lean over as far as he wanted to until his feet popped out or his back gave out, whichever came first. But he would do this move and you would see videos of him on stage like glide so smooth over to it and just slide his feet in and then boom, do the big lean. And it was amazing, blew my mind. But yet the same shoes that he wore that anchored him into the ground were the same shoes that he would gracefully seemingly float across the floor as he did the moonwalk. And I'm like, what a perfect illustration for the shoes, uh, shoes of readiness that God has given us. The shoes of a firm foundation 
that allow us to be nimble enough to dodge the arrows when the enemy fires at us, but also strong enough to be anchored when he comes in like a flood and we can stand against it. These are the shoes that have been prepared for us. These are the advantages that God has given us in our spiritual warfare to stand firm, to stand on solid ground. The confidence to know that every step we take is on solid ground and can be anchored because of what God has done for us. And so as Paul is is selling these shoes, he knows that there's two aspects to sell a sneaker. Yeah, you can tell about like what this shoe can do, but every shoe has has, uh, different advancements. Every shoe has different uh, things that can go along with it to make it advantageous for you and whatever uh, activity you might be doing in those shoes. But there's another part to truly selling a sneaker. When you want to sell a sneaker, it's not about just what the shoe can do. It's about who you identify with when you put them on. We, uh, I remember my first time wearing a pair of Air Jordans. Wearing a pair of Air Jordans. Now, my family didn't have, like, Air Jordan money. We had, like, pay less shoe store money. I'm just, we, we were good. Like, we were taken care of. But my family was like, you are not spending $200 on a pair of sneakers. That is just dumb. And so my friend had Air Jordan money, and so he got all the new Air Jordans, and we just happened to wear the same size. And so I'm like, hey, let me put these Air Jordans on and see what it's like, because I know I'm going to be a better ball player if I put on these Air Jordans. And sure enough, my vertical went from 12 inches to 12 and a half inches overnight. Like, as soon as I put them on, like, I gained that half an inch. And that doesn't seem like much, but I promise you that half an inch felt like 10 extra seconds of airtime. Like, I was flying. I was flying. And it wasn't that the shoes did anything, anything special for me. It was just who I identified with when I put the shoes on. Like, I can play like Mike. I can jump like Mike. Like, man, if, if I just lower this rim down to like five foot, I can do some of his dunks with these Air Jordans on. I can be, I can soar like him. Part of selling shoes is identify, it's who we identify with when we put them on. In a, in the recent movie called Air, which documents the story of how Nike, a seemingly unknown basketball shoe at the time, signed one of the greatest basketball players of all time coming out of college. Uh, the character that played Michael Jordan's mom, Dolores, has this quote where she said, a shoe is just a shoe until my son steps into it. And friends, the shoes that we have are just shoes, but it's who we identify with when we put them on, and that person is Jesus because God has branded these shoes with the gospel of peace. God has put his mark on them, and he has identified them. So when we step into them, we don't identify with just some regular person. We don't identify with a basketball player. We don't identify with an athlete. We identify with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We identify with Jesus Christ through the gospel of peace. And so this morning, what is the gospel? The gospel, the Greek word gospel in the New Testament, basically means good news. It's good news. But it's a word in Greek that wasn't used very often. It wasn't used very often because it it required a special occasion to be able to use because it wasn't just good news. It was news that was so good, so good that it's hard to believe. For instance, good news would be like, hey, I'm going to McDonald's after lunch, and hey, good news, the ice cream machine is working. Good news. Great news that's so hard to believe is we have a Chick-fil-A coming to Wadsworth. Like, that would be great news. 
That would be news that would be so good beyond belief. Because there's one thing I know about myself, and this guy likes chicken sandwiches, especially Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches, especially with a little bit of that Polynesian sauce. Like that's the stuff right there. So that is news that is too good to believe. That's not happening, unfortunately. Um, I wish it was, because I would be one of the first people online. I'd be camping out for days to get those lifetime cards for Chick-fil-A. But that is news that is so good, it, it's, it's hard to believe. And that's what the gospel was. News that was so good, it was hard to believe. And Paul unpacks that gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. As he writes, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So he lays out the first part of the gospel, is that because of your sin, and sin isn't just what we do, sin is who we are. It's our nature. We are born into it because of the decisions of Adam and Eve and the fall of God. And when the sin entered the world, it has entered every single one of us from the day we were born. We are sinful in nature, not just what we do, but who we are. And as a result of God's holiness and righteousness, he is at war with us. He was at war with us because of his holiness and his righteousness. But then it goes on to say, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of the grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. This word united here that he uses a couple times is a synonym, synonym of the word peace. Because the word peace in the Gospels in the Greek means two things that were once together that have been separated that are now bound together. This word peace is, is a rebinding together. It's a uniting with Christ. Because of Jesus, he has made peace with us. A God who was at war with us because of our sins through the Son and being, uniting us with him is now provided peace. He has bound us together with Christ. And as a result, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you, we've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. So the God who was at war with us has created peace and has called us his prized possession. A piece of art is just some paint and a canvas until somebody comes along and puts a price tag on it. And then it becomes, then it, it knows its worth. And then likewise, we have been worthless. We are worth nothing, but God has come along and put a price on us. And that price is the life of his son, Jesus. Friends, you are God's prized possession. And if God has given his son, Jesus, what is it that he will withhold from us? Nothing, the Bible says. There is nothing that God will, will withhold. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made peace with us through the gospel. 
And friends, that is the foundation of the shoes that we wear. That's the transformative piece that we have in our life. It has transformed our relationship with God, where we can have peace with him. And as a result, it can transform uh, how we see ourselves. Romans 8.1 says, Now there, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It can transform the way that we see ourselves. I don't have to live in guilt and shame. I don't have to live uh, with repressed thoughts and actions anymore. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he has established peace in my life. And it also transforms the relationships we have with other people. 1 John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We have peace with God, which creates peace in us, which allows us to have peace with other people. It's a transformative peace. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. Friends, I'm going to go out on a limb and say every problem that you're dealing with today in your life, the answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel. Everything that you're going through, the answer is the gospel. Sometimes we say like, oh, if I could just get right before God or if I feel a certain thing. It's not the gospel of feeling. It's the gospel of peace. Whatever you're facing in your life, maybe you just need a greater revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for you and be able to walk in what he has called you to walk in. Friends, that's the, feet, that's the, the shoes of a firm foundation that we have that have been prepared for us, that have been made ready for us by the gospel of peace. We can walk in peace because God has given it to us through his son, Jesus. And so do you have that type of peace this morning? Do you have that peace in your life? A couple quick take-homes for us as we look at this peace. First is uh, peace isn't found in your planning, but in God's provision. The peace that you have in your life, that you want in your life, is not found from you organizing and putting things together. It's not found in your planning. It is found simply in God's provision. He has given us the answers for the test. He has made them available. Whatever struggle you going th- you're going through this morning, God, God has the answers. But sometimes we spend so much time preparing in the physical. What if we spent more time preparing for the spiritual than we did for the physical? How would your life change? How would your outlook change? How would your perspective change? I guarantee you one thing, you would have more peace. Why? Because you would be firmly footed with the gospel shoes that Jesus has given us. Second is, uh, there is no peace without release. There is no peace without surrender. There's no peace with us, without us letting go first. We can, God can have all the peace available to us, but until we let go of our plans, until we let go of, of us needing to have control over a situation, there will be no peace in your life. No amount of peace will come in your life because of your own plans. It's only when we surrender control. Only when we let go. Nike has a slogan for their, their uh, apparel and for their shoes. And that slogan is, just do it. And it's a great slogan for them. Great slogan when you're trying to promote sports apparel. To just, hey, your, your future, your destiny is in your hands. It is what you make of it. So go out and run that 5K. For me, it's like, go out and mow the grass. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough for me. Just do it. Okay, I don't want to do it. I went two weeks without mowing my grass. It was really long. I did not want to do it, but I'm like, Nike says, just do it. I probably should do it. (laughs) It's a great slogan for them. 
hey, take the bulls by the horn and just go out and you just push harder and try harder and do harder. Great slogan for sports apparel, lousy slogan for our Christian life. Because it's not about us just doing more. It's not about us just doing it. It's wrestling the fact that Jesus has already done it. Right? It's what God has done for us. It's what Jesus has done for it. And, and if we want peace in our life, we have to let it go. We have to surrender our plans and say, God, whatever you want to have happen, whatever you want to see happen, here it is. I give it to you. Your will be done. As Jesus prayed on the night that he was crucified. God, not my will be done, but your will be done. We need to surrender control. And then lastly, the world didn't give this peace and the world can't take it away. The world didn't give this peace and the world can't take it away. John 14, 27 says, I am leaving with you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The peace I give you, the world cannot give you. And if the world can't give it to you, the world can't take it away from you. Friends, that's, that's one of the lies the enemy tries to get us to believe, is that the peace that God gives is circumstantial, that the peace that God gives is, is shaky ground. It may be there, it may be there when you're living right, but it may not be there when you're not living right. That's one of the lies that the enemy will try to get us to believe. But the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. John Tyson, a pastor in New York, puts it like this, that the gospel peace is a defiant peace. We, we interpret peace as a lack of conflict in our lives, lacking conflict in our relationship, lack of, lack of uh, absence of conflict, conflict in uh, our own personal, uh, how we view ourselves, absence of conflict uh, between two nations. That's what we see peace in the world. But the biblical peace is not an absence of conflict. It is an inner tranquility in the midst of conflict. It is having peace through any circumstance. It is having peace through any trial that you may be going through. It's a peace that the world didn't give and the world can't take it away. That is a peace that is a firm foundation for regardless of what we're going through in life. We have some friends who uh, have a son who, when he was four or five, developed cancer on his kidney. And so they went to the doctors and they ended up being able to do radiation and chemotherapy and um, surgically remove that kidney and got to the point where he got an all clear diagnosis. And so he went through life and, and the next nine years were, were accompanied by doctor's visits and approval like, hey, everything's look good. Hey, everything looks good. If we pass a certain mark, the likelihood of coming back is so small, so low. And so they went through life like, hey, we beat cancer. Praise God. This is good. He is good. He, he has answered our prayers. He has done all that. And then just a year or two later, as he's uh, 14, 13, 14 years of age, he starts experiencing back pain. And it's getting progressively worse. So they're like, hey, let's go to the doctor. Let's just check this out. And lo, lo and behold, the, the tumors had returned. And so like, hey, we've been down this path again and God has been good. We've been down this before and God gave us, he, he took care of it in the, in the past. And so we're believing him to take care, take care of it in the future. And he went through treatments and treatments and treatments and the cancer would get better and then worse and then better and then worse. And finally got to the point where it has wrapped itself around his spine so much that we can't do anything for him. Nothing else we can do. 
but send him home and make him as comfortable as we possibly can for as long as we possibly can. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that. Looking at my 14-year-old child and watching them progressively day by day get a little bit worse and knowing there's nothing that can be done. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, he he finished his race. Um, And he's at home and healed and whole in the presence of Jesus today. And so we're, we're grateful for that. But I remember my wife sitting down with his mom, who they were best friends growing up. They uh, went to school together, went to college together, and she's sitting down and she's just relating the struggle of like watching her son go through this day in and day out and being helpless to do anything about it. And Kim asked her like, what, how do you do this? And uh, she said, Kim, God has, God has given us a peace. God's given us a peace. And it's a peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that doesn't seem to comprehend for us. Why? Because we want to hold on to those things. But they had a peace knowing that they cherished the moments that they had with their son. And every day was a blessing. Every day was a blessing to them. But they also realized that, hey, our plans aren't God's plans. And we don't know why. And we don't know we, we, we don't have the answers for this, but yet in the midst of it, God has given us a peace and an assurance. And that is the hope we have in the gospel is that when this life ends, our life truly begins. This is the hope that we have. And so they, they have this hope that with their son, it's not goodbye. It's a see you later. And he just beat them there first. He got there first which if you know their son is good because he needs to know all the details and he needs to soak it all in. And I'm sure when they get there, he's going to tell be the first one to tell them and give them all the very minute details that into the inner working of heaven. And so he beat them there, but they know that that is not the end. They know that they are going to see him again. And that is the peace that the gospel gives us is that we may face hardships in this life, We may face circumstances in this life. We may go through this life and never have the answers, but we can have peace. Why? Because this life is but a moment. But we know that there's an eternity with our Heavenly Father because He is not at war with us. He is not at war with us. Friends, God has established peace and given us hope and given us a peace beyond understanding because of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the firm foundation that we hold on to. That is the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the firm footing that we know that every step we take is on solid ground. We, we may not understand all of it, but we know that our footing is sure. We know that Jesus says in this life, you're going to have trouble. That's just a foregone conclusion. But take hope. Have hope. Other words, have peace because I've overcome the world. And I won't ever leave you. I won't ever forsake you. We know we're going to go through hard things, but the hope we have and the peace we have is because Jesus is right there with us through every circumstance of life. So we have two questions for you this morning. What shoes, what shoes do you have? 
What shoes do you have? Do you have the right shoes on? Do you have the right shoes on this morning? We can have, there's all different types of shoes. Michael Jordan would be a lousy, I'm not saying he'd be a lousy basketball player, but I might have a chance against him if he had to wear mud boots. It's not easy to play basketball in mud boots. Michael Jackson would not be so great at the moonwalk if he had to wear flip-flops when he did it. I'm not, I mean, I've seen him lean like that, so he might be able to get away with it, but that's going to be hard. I mean, there are certain shoes that are made for certain things. And the shoes that God has given us, the intended purpose of being prepared and ready with a firm foundation for the steps that we have so we can walk in peace. Do you, what shoes do you have on this morning? And then secondly, are you wearing them properly? I love Pastor Lance to death. I love him like a brother with all my heart, but the man never ties his shoes. Nine times out of 10, I walk in his office and his shoelaces are dangling. I'm like, why do you even put shoelaces in them? He just slips them on. He's like, oh, I don't want to bend over and, and tie him. And even the best shoes are not going to function properly if you don't take time to put them on pro- right. Even the best shoes. One of the most annoying things going on walks with kids, stopping every five minutes because their shoes come untied. And you got to tie their shoes back up again. The enemy, the battle's not stopping because your shoe comes untied. In fact, the enemy is a dirt bag and he will try to step on your shoelaces just to see them come untied so that you'll trip up. That's, that's the kind of stuff he does. Have you taken time to properly fit yourself with the shoes of the gospel of peace? Have you, have you tied them under? Have you tied them up? How do you do that? Taking time every day to remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself what Christ has done for you. Take time in prayer and in his word, friends. That's how we tighten those laces up. Have accountability in your life. That's how we tie those laces up. Worship and prayer, those, that's how we, we tighten up those laces. That's how we're going to end this morning is by tightening our laces. And we're going to sing a song that we did a couple weeks ago called Firm Foundation. I thought, what a per- perfect song to end out this message because we're talking about things such as, hey, I might have, I can have joy in chaos and I have a peace that makes no sense. God has given us the peace in the midst of whatever you're going through. He has made the shoes available to you. Will you put them on this morning? As we stand, let's worship together. Thank God for the shoes that we have, the firm foundation that he's given us, and and praise his name for it.